God works things out. You don't have a plan, but God plans it out. You know, for example, this morning, got a text at 8.30, said, what time is the baptism? And so I started the water. <laughs> I had forgotten that we had a baptism. I had planned the baptism myself two weeks ago, and it had slipped my mind. Um, but God used something just real simple, because it's hard to baptize without water, and it takes time for the water to run. Now, Asher will tell you the water was cold, and he went swimming yesterday, so he had practice. He's okay. Um, but also, even beyond that, this morning our topic is this, that God is bigger than your chains. And I don't know if you noticed, but we just got done singing a song that I'm no longer a slave to fear. You get that phrase, I'm no longer a slave to fear, from our key verse for this morning's passage. And I didn't, I didn't talk to you about that. We didn't have a conversation. I didn't say, hey, Carrie, make sure you sing that slave song because I'm going to preach on that. Um, not at all, but God worked all that out. And it's neat. He doesn't always do it, but when he confirms this is my plan, this is what I want to have happen in church, this is what I want to have happen in your life, it's a really cool affirmation. And so this morning he gave me one, of, well, two of those by reminding me of the baptism and also that we are already primed and ready for our topic this morning. So last week we started this um, series on God is Bigger. And if you weren't here last week, the reason we're doing God is Bigger, I actually was inspired by our teens and by our youth camp. A couple weeks ago, we had the teenagers come up and give a testimony. And if you recall, one of the things I believe it was Ezra said was, I learned at camp that God is bigger than anything that I'm facing. And so I heard that and I thought, man, that is like such a powerful statement. There's so much involved in that statement, more than even just meets the eye. And so I decided that we were going to go into Romans chapter 8. And all throughout Romans chapter 8, we're shown over and over and over again that how that God is bigger. Last week we talked about the idea that God is bigger, God is bigger than my sin. And we're actually going to springboard off that today and talk about the fact that God is bigger than your chains. That God is bigger than the things that enslave you. And so we'll be in Romans chapter 8, um, and we're going to start in verse number 5, if you want to go ahead and start turning over there. But as I was thinking about this idea of slavery, you know, we are blessed. We live in America. I would venture to say that nobody in here has struggled with slavery in the past. You haven't been, you know, you didn't have a slave driver. You haven't been beaten for not, you know, picking the, the cotton. You haven't been beaten for not living up to expectations. None of us have experienced slavery. And, and, and it's been that way for many, many years in our country. Um, really, probably for the first time in history, we are as low a number of slaves in existence as probably there ever have been in history. There still are. There still are things that go on. But none of, none of us in this room have probably experienced or had any contact with slavery. And so I thought, man, how can we really grasp what he's saying here? Because I want to read the last verse first. It's highlighted here on your, on your outline. It's bold and italics. It says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And I want you to see the contrast he gives there. He says that you're not slaves, but rather sons. And so the best example that I could give you is an employer. And that's, that's a pale, pale comparison. An employer is nothing like a slave driver other than they're someone who's making you do something and has expectations, and you have to live up to those expectations. Now, thanks to the providence of the Lord and God's blessings, we don't have slave drivers in America. But maybe you've had, like I have, an experience with an employer that kind of felt 
somewhat slave-like. I can remember I worked for a real estate agent in uh, Marietta, Georgia. And uh, I worked for this real estate agent. He was a great guy, probably 360 days out of the year. He was an amazing guy, easy to talk to, easy to deal with. But those other five days represented the times that I didn't live up to his expectations. All right? So I can remember a specific time. This is a, this is a true life story. I can remember I was working as a real estate-owned property manager, or in other words, an REO manager, somebody that um, the houses had been foreclosed on, and I was the guy that had to go and make sure the houses were okay and try to relist them and sell them actually for the government. That's what I did. And so I didn't know it yet. I'd only been at the job for a month, but he really, really, really didn't want me talking to lawyers at all, ever, never. Did he want me to have any conversation or talk about anything to do with any of the properties? Long story short, I got a call. Guy told me his name. I didn't know who he was. And I just had a fine little conversation, probably 30 minutes, telling him about the property and what we'd done there and what we were going to do there and all the things that were going on. Well, I found out real quickly the next morning that so-and-so that I had told everything we'd done at a property was a lawyer. Now, I would love to tell you that, that my boss came in and said, hey, you made a mistake yesterday. I just want to tell you, I really hope that you don't make a mistake in the future. That would have been a really good conversation. Like, I would have enjoyed that. I could have probably learned from that. But I spent 45 minutes in his office hearing words that as a 30-year-old man, or I guess I was 25, 25-year-old man, I'd never heard those words before. I, he was making up new stuff to call me, and he was good at it. And he, he laid into me for a solid 25 minutes, just, just going nonstop, enough to where when I came out, I'm a grown man, I'm a big guy, I'm actually bigger than the guy was that was yelling at me. When I was coming out, my coworkers were like, you okay? It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm okay. It's just, my ears hurt a little bit. I feel a little damaged. But it was any time, and it could have been something as little as, like I said, talking on the phone to somebody he didn't want me to talk to. I didn't end up causing any trouble for the company, but he was worried. Um, it could have been any little mistake. You know, something like uh, if he would ask me, hey, have you been to this such and such house this week, I would say, no, I went last Friday, so I didn't go today. And then, then it would set off another 15, 20-minute tirade. And it started to get more and more common until I got to the point where he offered me a job that was going to be way more money than I had ever made in my whole life, way more money than I could ever probably hope to make in my whole life as a pastor. And I, I rejected the job, and I said, I know I'm supposed to be in ministry because I'm not, it's not worth the level of stress to be under your care to do what you want me to do. Now, I want you to contrast that. I, 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 anytime I messed up, do you know what my response was? Cover it up, fix it as quick as I can, and try not to get in trouble. Now, what does that do to your ability to do the best that you can? All you're doing is trying to not mess up, right? Sometimes in sports they say, you're playing to not lose, right? What happens when you play to not lose? You lose, right? You lose. If you're not playing to win, if you're not being aggressive, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and being kind of confident in what you're doing, you're, you're just playing a losing game. And that's what I was doing over and over again. I, I, I started pulling back and I would get so afraid that I was going to do something that made him mad and I didn't want to get yelled at. Now I want to contrast that with the other relationship it talks about. It says slave, you're not, a, you're not uh, called to a spirit of slavery, but rather son, adoption that you've been adopted. And so I contrast that with my dad's relationship. Now, I knew if I failed my boss, I was going to get yelled at, I was going to get reprimanded, I was going to get probably more than I deserved. 
and it was going to be painful. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I had over and over and over again failed my dad. Right? I can remember, I can remember doing some of the dumbest things and costing him the most money. I can remember, my dad was such a patient man. I can remember as a dumb 16-year-old teenager, I got mad that he wasn't letting me go to a movie or something with some friends. And so we had literally closed, sold our house and closed on it the day before. And as I'm walking out, I punched the wall, not intending to damage the wall, but as a 16-year-old boy, put a huge hole in the wall the day after we closed. And he's like, John, you just cost me like four hours of work to fix what you just messed up. You know what? He never yelled at me for that. He was disappointed. He was frustrated. He was like, why, why did you do that? And, and as a dumb teenager, I just thought, well, it's your job to clean up after me. I didn't recognize, and maybe you're in the same boat, you didn't recognize as a young person how much your parents loved you and how much all the things that they did were a result of not obligation. They weren't obligated to love you. It wasn't a result of legal matters. It wasn't, they weren't forced to love you. They loved you just because they loved you. And I thought about those contrasts, the contrast between the slave driver and the father. And, and I, I, here's something that really occurred to me, and I, I realized as I was thinking about these two things, is that both compel you to do the best you can, right? The slave driver out of fear says, do the best you can or else there's going to be consequences. But my dad, as I grew and started to understand how much he truly loved me, he motivated me to be the best that I could in a desire to please him. Not because I was afraid he was going to hit me if I didn't. Not because I was afraid that he was going to um, yell at me if I fell short of his expectation. I wanted to do, be the best and do the best that I could because I knew he loved me and I didn't want to disappoint him. I want you to understand, when you're driven by love, when your desire and your passion is driven by love, you're set up for success. Where when you're driven by fear, when, when you're a slave to fear, you're set up for failure. And that's what we're going to look at here. As we jump into Romans chapter 8, we're going to start it, like I said, in verse 5. It's up here on the screen. I'll actually read from the screen along with you. It says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Jump on to the next one. If Christ is in you, this is verse 10, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all, those, uh, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And here's our key verse for this morning, verse number 15. The Bible says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's pray. 
God, we love you. We thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity, God, to serve you. Not only because, uh, Lord, it's a privilege to serve you, but because you love us despite what we do, despite what we face, despite our difficulties and our weaknesses. God, thank you so much for being not only our Savior, not only our friend, not only our provider, but God, most importantly, you are our Father. I pray, Lord, you just help us to be reminded today that you love us the way that a father loves a child, that you love us despite our insecurities, despite our failures, despite our shortcomings, you love us anyway. And help us to live out of that boldness, God, that you are in control and you love us and you are pleased with us because of Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, help us to live for you and focus on Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are today with a big question. If you look at the, phrase, uh, the, the construction of the passage, the end of the passage says, you are given a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of slavery. But then he spends the rest of this whole 10 verses talking about where that spirit starts to manifest itself in your life or how that spirit's going to manifest itself in your life. And here's the big question. We're going to see it in verse 5. And the question is this. Simple enough, what is your mind set on? And here's where we get that question. If you read verse 5 again with me, here's what the Bible says. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Do you catch the question there? The contrast there. What are you setting your mind on? Or in other words, what are you intentionally putting your focus in? Where is your drive? Where is your direction in life? What is your mind set on? And so today we've got two simple points. It's not going to take long at all. I just want to contrast these two points. And, and if you haven't caught it, really over the past month, I have been urging you to place your focus on Jesus Christ. Anywhere else in life that your focus lies, whether that's doing good, whether that's being better, whether that is um, pleasing self or making money, no matter where else your focus lies, you are headed to destruction. The Bible tells us that over and over and over again. In Romans chapter 8, here it tells us another way. And it talks about how if your mind is set on Christ, you've been given the spirit of adoption. But if your mind is set on flesh, you're still enslaved. You're still enslaved. Just the same way last week we talked about how that the spirit and the law of Jesus Christ, the law of His grace, has come and it's replaced the law of sin and death. But if you choose to continue to live by the law of sin and the law of death and the law of trying to do your best, you'll never experience the grace that Christ has already freely given you. And so here, the first thing I want us to look at this morning is this, the flesh-focused mind. The flesh-focused mind. And we're going to start here in verse number 6. We see the first evidence of the flesh-focused mind. It says, For the mindset on the flesh is death. Do you catch that? That's, that's a pretty strong wording. The mind set on the flesh is death. And you say, well, what does it mean? What is it talking about? And I want you to understand, when the, when the mind is set on death, ultimately you need to understand that the flesh-focused mind is going to lead to death. And if we even think about this logically, okay, just thinking about it in, in human terms, if you live for your flesh or yourself or to please the body, when this body passes away, game over, right? And so many in our world live that way, that it's just about getting the most money, getting the most things, having the most fun, having the most experiences, and it's a race to the finish line. So what does that ultimately cause your focus to be? At all times... You're ever-present, ever-focused on death. Because when that day of death comes, time's up, game's over, that's the end of the game. Whereas 
and we're going to talk about this later, he says, the mind that's focused on the Spirit has life and peace. Now, I'm I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want you to see that contrast there. That if we have a flesh-focused mind, if our mind is constantly on what I want to eat, what I want to drink, what I want to do, what I want to consume, what I want to feel, what I can experience today, if that's your whole focus, the Bible tells us very clearly that it's leading to death. Ultimately, it's death. And, And so the logical side is that you only have so many years in this human body. And if you're all living for what happens on earth, that has an expiration date. It's going to end. And everything that you do is for naught. Everything that you do was wasted. Every moment of your life that's lived for self ends up burned up, gone. It never comes back. It's gone forever. On the, uh, as, as we take it deeper, on the spiritual side, as we talk about death, the Bible tells us, actually Paul tells us later in, in Scripture, he says that um, death I mean, sin, when it left when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it has come to completion, brings forth death. Or he gives us the regular progression of temptation, lust, sin, and death. I want you to understand, and I, I had, a, had a, a very wise man tell me this one time, that all sin kills something. All sin kills something. If you cheat on your wife, you're killing that relationship. Right? Right? If you, if you speak a hateful word, once again, you're killing that relationship. If you do something that harms yourself, you're physically killing yourself. Every sin that you commit is killing something. Death is always the result. Whether it be someone's trust in you, whether it be a relationship, whether it be your testimony, whether it be your physical body, something is dying as a result of the sin that you're committing. Always. Every time. And I I would challenge you, even as I'm speaking, to sit there and try to think of some sin that is a victimless crime, right? We hear a lot about that. Well, there's victimless crimes. It's not hurting anybody. I want you to think about the sins that we would consider victimless crimes and consider who is it really hurting, right? So, So I've even heard, I've had teenagers tell me, well, I'm considering suicide. You know, the only person that hurts is myself. How wrong could you be? I, I've, I've been in multiple situations where I've dealt with suicide over and over and over again. And though that person may be out of their pain or may be out of their misery or may have ended this temporary problem with a permanent solution, the family never gets over that. Right? I, when I was in Texas, I was youth pastor, and I had a girl in my youth group that accepted Christ as her Savior, got really excited, went to camp. She got baptized one Sunday. So Sunday morning, we, I, I'm baptizing her. And as I'm baptizing her, I watch her dad, who's an atheist, storm out while I'm baptizing her. Didn't think anything about it. I just thought, okay, well, he's got kind of mad. He didn't like what I said, whatever. It, it, you know, he's offended by Christ. The next Sunday when she was at church, he hung himself. When she was at church. And you say, well, maybe he thought, maybe he thought this was the best thing for her. Maybe he thought he was a bad influence. I'm sure he did think those things. Maybe he thought that, man, she'll be better off without me. Do you know that girl has never, ever recovered from that? And never will recover fully to say that I've got a dad that loves me. That sin in his life obviously brought his own death, but in everybody around him it brought death too. Any sin that you commit is ultimately bringing death. It's killing somebody. It's killing something. Whether it's relationships, whether it's your testimony, something is dying when you choose to sin. Say, gosh, that's so heavy. That's such a heavy burden. I don't want you to feel burdened down by this. I want you to be encouraged by this, that the sin that you're committing... Was, was, was heavy. And in fact, not only was it death to something around you, death to some relationship, 
The sin that you committed was felt by Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible tells us that when He was hanging on the cross, He felt the weight of every sin that you ever committed, of everything that you've ever did wrong. I want you to think, and I'm not trying to send you into this, this moment of depression this morning. That's not my goal. I promise it's not. But I want you to think of the worst you've ever felt, the worst thing you ever did, that weight and that depression and that frustration of your own failure. And I want you to think about compounding that, multiplying that, by all the people who have ever lived in all of mankind. That's the weight that Christ felt on the cross for our sins. Listen, the nails were nothing, right? The crown of thorns was nothing. The hanging on the cross was nothing in compared, when it was compared to the guilt and the weight of the sin that he felt on the cross. When you sin, that brought death to Christ as well. You say, man, that's, that's such a heavy burden that you're placing on me. I want you to realize that, that I'm telling you this because I want you to understand what an amazing gift it was that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. I want you to realize that it wasn't just some passing thing. It wasn't just, hey, I got nothing to do this Friday. Why don't I go ahead and be crucified? This was a monumental and expensive price that He paid and only because He loved you. Not because there was some expectation not because he wanted to be the slave driver and drive you to do what you don't want to do, because he loved you. And I say all that to say this, if he loved us that much, we should be putting our focus on him. We should be putting our focus on him. And that love should drive us to live the way that he's called us to live. So first we understand that sin ultimately leads to death. We see that also in verse 13. He says, I wrote 12 here, but it's actually verse 13. He says, For you are living according to the flesh, uh, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. That's what he says. And, and here's what he's saying. If you tie yourself to sin, right? Sin is always killing. And you've seen it. You've witnessed it in life. I can see it. Uh, there's guys, I was talking about a guy that I went to Bible college with just last night. I was talking to my wife. And he started off with a sin that he was unwilling to quit. He had this sin, and he said, you know what, I think this one sin is not that big a deal. It started off as him saying, this sin is something I can't shake. I'm just going I'm, I'm to try to keep it under control and try to live the way I'm supposed to live and just leave this sin alone. Right? He didn't kill that sin in his life. He just left it there. That went to, well, I don't really think that this sin that I'm talking about is really a sin at all. I think that this is not sinful. I can still be a Christian. I can still go to church and do this thing that I, everybody else says is a sin, but I don't think it's a sin. It didn't take long before that turned into, well, I think the whole church has it wrong. I think that the Bible is right, but the church is wrong. And I'm going to step away from the church because they say that this is sin. And I can't find anybody that lines up with the way that I think. I can't find anybody to twist Scripture the way that I want them to twist Scripture. And so I'm going to step away from church. And then just recently, really just in the past few months, it turned into God is wrong. Everything about the Bible is wrong. There is no God. I can't do this. My, what I want to do, life is all about living for what I want to live for and doing what I want to do. And he's dove headlong into the sin that at first he said, it's just a small sin and I'm going to keep it in the corner and I'm going to keep it under control. Right? I heard a pastor one time say it this way, if Goliath had been killed when he was a baby, that war would have been a lot easier. Right? If Goliath would have been killed before he became a giant, that war would have been a lot easier. It would have been a lot easier to win that battle. The same thing's true in your life. If you'll kill sin when it's a baby in your life, it's going to be a much easier battle. But here's the problem. Sometimes we say, well, it's just a little sin. It's just a small thing. You know, I don't really struggle with it. I'm going to keep it under control. It's my little pet sin. I'm not going to worry too much about it. I'm just going to keep it over here in the corner, and I can control it. 
Listen, one thing you've got to understand about sin is the only choice that you have in sin is whether I'm going to do it or whether I'm not. It decides the outcome. It decides the consequences. It decides how far you're going to go. It decides who you're going to become. Your only choice is this. Am I going to put my faith and trust in Christ and follow Him? Or am I going to live for what I want to live for? The rest is decided by the sin or by the Savior. That's who's deciding in your life. And so here we understand that sin leads to death. Not only does it lead to death, that the, 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 I mean the, the flesh-focused mind leads to death, but it also is hostile towards God. It says that right in this passage. In verse 7 it says that that mind is hostile towards God. And I just gave you the example of my friend from college. That's what ended up happening. When he was focused on the flesh, because he didn't realize it, but when he said that this little sin is not a big deal and I can keep it under control, what he was saying is that this is more important than anything else in my life. This is going to be the king, the God of my life. And let me be very clear with you. If there is a sin or a temptation or an action in your life that you are putting and saying, well, it's not that big a deal. Without realizing it, what you're saying is this is more important than Christ in my life. This thing is more important than God is to me. And that's ultimately going to lead to death. But not only is it ultimately going to lead to death, it puts you in a posture that's hostile towards God. You are the enemy of God. And so many times, we're in the middle of that sin, committing that sin, committed to that sin, and saying, God, please help me, please fix this, please fix this, and all the while, never willing to turn away from that sin, and repent of that sin, and turn away from it. In other words, I'm focused fully on what I want, instead of what Christ wants for me. We understand that the flesh-focused mind, first, like I said, it ultimately leads to death. Secondly, it's hostile towards God. But listen to this, it's incapable of godly living. Look at verse 7, let's read this together. Verse 7, the Bible says this. It says, Because the mind set on the flesh first is hostile towards God. But listen to this. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. Here's the key part. For it is not even able to do so. It's hostile to God, and it doesn't do what God wants it to do because it's not even capable of doing it. That's what the Bible says. Last week I had all the kids come up here. If you remember, I had them all lined up. Of course, I put Mariah in front because she will try anything once which can be a good thing and also can be a very bad thing. But anyway, Mariah was right up here in front, and I said, I want you to fly around the church. If you weren't here, that was the challenge. Guys, fly around the church, and I'm going to give you a piece of candy. All you got to do is just flap your wings, fly once around the church. Now, obviously, that wasn't fair for me to say to them. Were they capable of doing it? No. I want you to understand, if you're an unsaved person, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you don't have the Spirit in your life, if you've never been changed by Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, the Bible says this, you have as much chance of living a godly life as they did of flying around the room. you got the same capability. It's not a possibility. You'll never live up to that standard. You'll never be able to do what God's calling you to do. In fact, all you'll do is go into a cycle of depression and frustration because all you'll see is failure after failure, and you'll start to think, man, there's something wrong with me. There is something wrong with you. But there's a healer too. And Christ wants to change that. He is the answer for your sin. He is the answer for your chains. He is the answer for what you face. And the truth of this is that if your mind is set on fleshly things, you can't please God. You can't live a godly life. He goes on further. He doesn't just say that you're incapable of living a godly life. He even flat out says that the flesh-focused mind cannot please God. 
Now, I want you to understand that there's two people that have a flesh-focused mind. There's two kinds of people that have a flesh-focused mind. The first one is a sinner, right? Somebody that's never accepted Christ, that's never began a relationship with Christ. The answer for that person is real simple. Begin a relationship with Christ. It's as simple as ABC. Admit that I'm a sinner and I need Christ. Believe that He came and died on the cross for my sins and confess that He's the only way that I'll escape my sin. That's it. ABC. That's beginning a relationship with Christ. But the second person that has a flesh-focused mind is called a carnal person. Or in other words, I've accepted Christ, but then after I accepted Christ, I kind of got my ticket to heaven and I take a back seat and I just kind of do the things I want to do. Show up to church on Sunday maybe. Um, but that's basically all I really want to do. I don't really want to do anything spiritual. I don't really want to read my Bible. I don't really want to have a relationship with Christ. I just kind of want to do just enough to get by. I want to focus on my stuff, not on God's. In fact, there's some people that come and they go through all the motions. They do everything a Christian's supposed to do. They come to church, they read their Bible, they pray every day, but they're still focused and completely driven by self and flesh. You know what? I want to be honest with you. The answer is still simple for that person too. The same grace, the same love, the same change that Christ brought to you for salvation is available to you every day. The Bible says it this way in 1 John 1 verse 9. says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse of our, of our sins, and forgive us of all unrighteousness. You know what he's saying there? You know what John tells us? Is that no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your difficulty has been, Christ loves you. And He wants to be a part of your life. All you've got to do is place your focus back on Him. It says if we confess our sins, all that's doing is saying, God, I messed up, it is my fault, and I need your forgiveness. It's as simple as that. That is the relationship that we have with our Father. If He was a slave driver, it would be harder. We'd have to repay Him. We'd have to pay back our debt. We'd have to try to fix what we broke. But with Christ, He's our Father. You know what? And there's some things that we can do that we want to do to try to fix that relationship, but it's all out of love, not out of obligation. All right? So the first part, we've got the flesh-focused mind, and real quickly we'll finish up with this, and this is where we all want to be, and that's the spirit-focused mind. So we looked at the flesh-focused mind, and we saw that it leads to death. It leads to frustration. It is hostile towards God. There's nothing that good comes from the flesh-focused mind. But here we see the contrast that Paul's given us. And he says that we have, are called to have a spirit-focused mind. I want you to see the contrast in verse 6. Um, we'll, we'll jump back there. I mentioned it earlier in passing, but he says this. <laughs> he says, For the mindset on the flesh is death. But listen to this. Here's the contrast. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So earlier we said that logically speaking, when you live focused on the flesh, death is always on your mind. Because it's a ticking time bomb. It's a ticking clock. And you only have so much time left to get as much as you want, to do as much as you want, to be pleased as much as you can be pleased. But when we are Christians, when we have our mind set on Christ, when our focus is on the Spirit, here's what the Bible says, is that we can have our ultimate lead, our ultimate destination be life and peace and here's what that means right so i don't have to struggle and fight to get everything that i want here on earth i don't have to fight to get all the fun things that i want i don't have to fight to get all the money that i want to get all the stuff that i want because it's not a race to the finish line in fact this is just a part of eternity that god's given me to live and i can live knowing that life carries on 
When I pass, I still have life because of Christ. When I'm focused on the Spirit, I'll give you the example. I've told you this before. I've told you over and over again. And the only reason I share it over and over again is because it just still shocks me. Just to think about this. My dad, in his last days, I can remember having the conversation and asking him, what do you want for these last days? And his answer was simple. He said, and, and for those of you that don't, don't know, he was dying of, of colon cancer. He knew he was dying. And I was asking him, hey, how do you think this is going to go? Like, do you think that they're going to be able to heal this? Do you think how many years you have left? Here was his answer. He said, I just want to finish what God has for me to finish here on earth. I said, wait, stop. I, I even got a little annoyed with him at the moment. I said, Dad, no, that's not what I'm asking you. I know that's what you want to do. He said, I, John, I know what you're asking, but I don't know the answer to that. The only answer I know is that I want to live for what Christ wants me to live for. I want to do what Christ wants me to do. And as long as he has me here on earth, I'm going to live and do what he called me to do. But when he calls me home, I'm still going to live and do what he wants me to do. It isn't an end. It's an end to this life. It's an end to this sorrow. It's an end to this frustration. It's an end to these difficulties. But it's just the beginning of my life. It's just another step in my life. And he had a peace that I couldn't understand back then. I thought, Dad, you are losing it. They must be giving you the good drugs already. You are already well beyond logic. But no, he knew exactly what he was saying. And the truth for him was this, that his spirit-focused mind gave him a focus on life and on peace. Let me tell you something. When you get a cancer diagnosis, when you get bad news, when a loved one dies, the only way that you can live and be joyful through that and be um, rejoicing in that is when you know that God is in control and God loves you, and it wasn't an accident. It was His plan. Let me tell you something. That can bring such an amazing peace when you know that God's in full control. And whether the plan is what you wanted or whether it's what He wanted, He knows what He's doing, and He loves you, and He has all the power. Let me tell you this. If we truly believe that God has all power in heaven and earth, and we truly believe that God loves us and has the best in store for us. And we truly believe that He can do what He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. Let me tell you something. It's really hard to get frustrated and depressed when we have that focus. When our focus is on the Spirit and we understand that He's in control and He loves us and He's playing out this plan exactly the way that He wants to, we can live in peace knowing that He's got life and He's got hope. Whether that's here or in the life to come, He's in control. That's the life and peace that nobody else can understand. As Christians that are focused on Christ and focused on the Spirit, we have an understanding of life that nobody else will because we understand that life doesn't end at death. Life doesn't end when we take our last breath. In fact, we're going to experience glory that we've never experienced before in life if we are a believer and we have a relationship with Christ. He's going to take us to heaven. That's life and hope. Ultimately leads to life and peace. Not only that, it's inhabited by the Spirit of God. The flesh, I mean, the Spirit-focused mind is inhabited by the Spirit of God. I want you to understand, this is, this is a huge statement, and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but I want you to look at verse 9. He says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Here's a big if. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Here's what he says. If you have truly accepted Christ as your Savior, and He has indwelled you, as if He's taken up residence within you, if He now is in your life and in your heart and a part of who you are, He doesn't say that you probably will. He doesn't say that you might be able to. He says that now you have the Spirit to focus on. Now some of you say, well, I'm, our, I'm, I'm a believer, 
and I have Christ in my heart, and I know that I have the Spirit within me, but I still don't live the way that I feel like God wants me to live. Maybe that's a question of focus. Maybe that's a question of focus. The Bible said early on in this passage, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. What are you setting your mind on? He goes on further, we understand the Spirit-focused mind is inhabited by the Spirit of God, but not only that, it has spiritual life despite being bound to this body. This dead, earthly body. Last week we talked about how that Paul was frustrated. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And it was all a result that he's bound to this imperfect human body. Now guess what? There's no escaping it here on earth. You can't escape this fleshly, earthly body. You're going to be flawed as long as you're here on earth. But here's what the Bible says. That despite your earthly body, we still have spiritual life. Here's where he says it in verse number 11. This is such an impactful verse. As Paul says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. I want you to understand that not only, not only have we, have, do we have life in this earthly body, he can also bring glory to God even through this earthly body. When we have our focus on the spirit, even though we are flawed, we can still bring glory to God. Right? If you look throughout Scripture, Jesus, God regularly chose to use imperfect and flawed people and flawed things to carry out His desire. Right? He used Rahab the harlot. Right? That's, that's about, in our, in our society, that's about as low as you can go. And God chose, I'm going to use somebody that's imperfect, that's got flaws, that's got sin. He also used Naaman the leper. If you know about Naaman, he was a, a, was a captain of the army. He was a huge, sinful, wicked man. But God chose to use him despite all of that. God wants to use you despite your sinful body. Despite your wicked ways, He wants to use you. And the only way that that can happen is if your mind is set on the Spirit. Last couple of things, we'll, we'll move through them quickly. <clears throat> we understand that we're not under captivity to the flesh. Verse 12, he says that you are not under obligation to this mortal body. Or in other words, you are not captive to the flesh. You are not um, ruled by the things that your body wants to do. You have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed. You have been set free from this wicked body. The key to that is setting your mind on the Spirit. He goes on further. He, he says that we're not under captivity of the flesh, which means we don't live according to the flesh. We don't live according to the flesh. And here's what he means by that. I am not living my life based on what I want right now. That's what Paul's urging us to do. He says, don't live your life based on what you want this moment, based on what you want today, based on what you want here on earth. Live your life based on what Christ has called you to be and what Christ has called you to do. Paul talks about it as being uh, the spirit of, uh, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. I talked a little bit about that last week. This ministry of reconciliation is simple. It means that we are to be reconciled to God regularly. The reason I bring this up is because when we talk about setting our mind on the Spirit, that's the Spirit, that's the ministry of reconciliation. Here's all that means. It sounds like big words, it sounds difficult. Here's what he's saying. Every day I am saying, God, I am what you say I am. God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. God, I want to be focused on what you want me to be focused on. That's it. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That you are sincerely saying, God, I am what you say I am. I'm going to do what you say I should do, and I'm going to go where you say I should go. I'm following your will, not my will. That's what we're called to do. And so when we live according to the Spirit, when we live focused on the Spirit, it's not about I wake up and what do I want to do today. It's about, God, what do you want for me to do today? What do you have for me to do today? 
goes on further. The spirit-focused mind puts to death the deeds of the flesh rather than dying with them. Let me repeat that. It puts the deeds of the flesh to death rather than dying with them. Earlier we talked about that, that sin is going to result in death. Period. It's not a maybe. It's not a sometimes. Sin always, it's a law, always results in death. So if you're bound to sin, if sin is part of who you are, what is your fate? It's death. Here's what the Bible says, though. Here's the other option. He says, you put, the spirit-focused mind is going to put the deeds of the flesh to death rather than dying with them. That's what I said earlier, and I, I want to touch on it again just for a moment. The choice that you get to make in life is this. This is the big picture choice you get to make in life. Am I going to serve the flesh or am I going to serve the Lord? That's it. That's the, big, that's the big question that you have to decide and you have to make that decision in your life. Because once you make that decision, if you say, I'm going to follow God, we need to be willing to do what God calls us to do and follow the plan and the course of life that He's put in front of us. On the other end, if you choose to live for the flesh, you may have grand plans. But Satan has a way of changing those. Satan has a way of distorting those. Satan has a way of taking those off track. And the reality is this. If you choose to live for the flesh, the decision that you made ultimately means that flesh decides what you end up as. That's the destination. Last thing here, last couple things. The Bible says this, that the spirit-focused mind belongs to the child of God. And this should be encouraging to you. Verse 14, he says, that if you are a child of God you will have a spirit-focused mind. Your mind will be set on the spirit if indeed you are a child of God. Here's what he's saying. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you have been given the gift, the ability, the privilege to set your focus on Christ, to set your focus on the spirit. And we've been given the obligation, the ministry, the ongoing task of reconciliation. Not that we can be good enough to be what Christ says we should be. Not that we can try hard enough to do better, but that we come back to Christ and say, I am flawed and I need you. That needs to be a daily declaration of God. 1 John 1, 9, I'm going to repeat it again. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what we're called to do. Not to live a perfect life. Not to try harder, but rather to keep our focus on Christ. To the point that when we fall, when we fail, when we mess up, it doesn't drive us to fear. Rather, it drives us back to the Father who has saved us in the first place. And here's where we're going to finish today. This is the last verse. Verse number 15. Is, I just paraphrase it here on your screen. Here's what the Bible says. If you're focused on being led by the Spirit, you are not a slave, but rather a son. You don't live in fear but rather in the boldness to call out Daddy. That phrase, Abba, Father, was an intimate call. In fact, it was most commonly used for a child calling out to their father. It was just like if my three-year-old, my four-year-old, no, she's three, right? My three-year-old came in and had stubbed her toe or hurt her finger. The thing that she would cry out is, Daddy, I need you, Daddy. I'm hurt. I'm falling. I, I'm in trouble. I need you. Do you know we've been given the privilege the Bible says right here in Scripture that we've been given the adoption of sons. Not, not so that we will be in fear. Not so that the next time that you sin, you cower in the corner and say, I've got to get away from church. I've got to get away from Christians. I've got to stay away from, from God because He's mad at me. But rather we understand that God loves us. That Christ died on the cross for us. 
And that we've been given the privilege to say, Daddy, I messed up. I need your help. I don't know how I did it. I know I've done it before. I keep messing up the same way. Let me tell you something. My daughter, if she stubbed her toe a hundred times, the hundred times she comes in, I'm not going to say, well, stop doing it. I'm not helping you. You did it a hundred times. Why, why don't I do that? Because I love her. Same thing's true for God. He loves you so much. He's not looking to reprimand you. God's not up in the sky with a fly swatter waiting to whack you because you messed up. God's not the slave driver that says, do what I say or else. God is the Father that says, despite what you are, despite what you've done, despite what your difficulties are, I love you. Now here's the thing. Did I just give everybody a license, just do whatever you want, everybody go out, party, have a good time, do whatever you want? I didn't. In fact, I talked about it the first. I'm not driven by fear, right? I, I don't serve God because I'm afraid that he'll be mad at me if I don't. In fact, the opposite's true. The same way that my dad loved me, and I wanted to please my dad, and I wanted my dad to be proud, the same way is how I live for God. I know that he loves me, and I love him, so I want to live in a way that shows him I love him. You know, I can remember as a teenager, there was a time I had, it wasn't, it wasn't that the thing that I did was so, bit, so bad or so big or such a big problem. The problem was that I had been setting a pattern in my life, and my dad could see it, that I was regularly choosing to do the wrong things, be around the wrong people, do the wrong things, have the wrong attitudes. And I can remember as a teenager, my dad was crying. And in that moment, I didn't love my dad the way that I should. And those tears, rather than affecting me the way they should, I remember laughing when my dad was crying. Because I thought, why are you crying? My, my mindset was this. This is such a small thing. I do way worse stuff than this. That was what I was thinking. I've done way worse things than this. Why are you crying now? But what I realized as I got older, right? I didn't get it that day. I didn't get it the next month. But as I got older, that image of my dad crying would come up and I would remember that my dad wasn't upset with me. He wasn't mad at me. He just loved me so much that he saw that I, I had potential to be more than what I was being. I had the opportunity to be more than what I was being. And the same thing's true for God. He's not, he's not disappointed in you. He's not mad at you. But as he looks down and he sees you continue to sin and continue to fall, what he says is, I love you and I want you to be better. And it hurts me not because I'm mad at you, not because I'm disappointed in you, but because I can see what you really could be. I know what you have the capability of being. I know the potential that I've placed in you. And so this morning, as the musicians come, I want you to consider this. As we all stand, we're going to pray together. I want you to consider, where is your focus? What is your focus on? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much, God, for saving us from our sins. We thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, God. We thank you so much that you have given us the ability and the opportunity to claim you as Father, as the adoption that you've given us, God. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never accepted you, God, that you would make it so abundantly clear, Lord, that you came, God, and all they must do is, it, A, admit that they're a sinner and that they need you. B, believe that you came and died on the cross for their sins. And C, confess that you are the only way that they can't work for it, that they can't try harder, but you alone are the way to salvation. God, if there's anyone here today that has not accepted you, I pray that they would make that decision today. God, if there's people here today that are serving you, that do love you, but God, they seem to keep falling and they feel like they've disappointed you, God, I pray that you would just encourage them. Help them to know that you're not there in judgment, God, that you're not there with frustration, that you're not there with disappointment, but God, that you're a loving father and you're just waiting for them to call out to you. God, for them to cry out, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I need your help. Abba, Father, I need you. God, I pray that you just bless us and our time together. God, work in hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing together.
<clears throat> if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, now's the time. I'm here. I'd love to pray with you. We have counselors here to pray with you as well. Maybe you're struggling with something. Whatever it may be, I want you to know that God loves you. He cares about you. shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That's good singing. I appreciate you all. I love you. I, I'm so glad you're here with me this Sunday. Let me tell you, I just got to be honest. As your pastor, one of the best times of my week is looking out and seeing all of your smiling faces. Even, even if you're taking a nap when I'm preaching, it doesn't bother me a bit. I love you and I'm glad that you're here. You are dismissed and we'll see you next Sunday.